We are looking at a portion of scripture this morning from Luke's gospel, and it's the parable or the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And I'll read verse 19, and then we will begin. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. We know that this rich man and Lazarus both died. And Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, where he was comforted. And the rich man also died. And he was buried. And the scripture says, being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried for mercy. And Abraham said to him, there's a great gulf fixed between us. You can't come to us and we can't come to you. Then the rich man says, he says, Father Abraham, send him to my brothers. Send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them so that they don't come to this place of torment. Abraham says unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, he said, they have the written word of God. Let them hear the written word of God. And he says, the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone can go to them from the dead, they will repent. And he says, no, if they will not hear the prophets, it won't matter if somebody goes to them from the dead. So this um, great miracle of somebody rising from the dead and going to them and telling them, you must heed what the scripture says. It says that they wouldn't listen. That miracle would not be enough to convince them that they need to repent. So what has the power? What has the power to convince a heart that it is in need of salvation? What has the power to convict a heart that a heart needs to be saved? Well, what can cause faith to arise in a man's heart that a man may believe the word of God? It is only, according to the scripture, that which causes faith to arise is hearing and hearing the word of God. If faith arises, there can be hope. But if faith doesn't arise, there can be no hope. And when we hear the word of God, faith arises. What the rich man's brothers needed to hear was the word of God. If they had heard the word of God, they may have, faith may have arisen and they may have believed and they may have received the living word. It's very clear that that God is the one who imparts faith. He is the one, the giver of faith. But it is also clear that hearing the word of God is a great instrument which nourishes faith. 
and strengthens faith and brings about more faith. So we know that the pure word of God is what causes us to grow. The pure word of God is what causes, according to that wonderful scripture that says that the refreshing doctrines come down as a gentle rain from heaven or a dew from heaven that cause the tender herb to grow. It is the word of God that will cause us to grow and to bud and to blossom and to bring forth much fruit. It's never enticing words. It's not words of man's wisdom that will bring help to souls. It's not words of man's wisdom that will save souls. It is the hearing of the eternal, unchanging word of God. While I was studying for this, I read a little passage, enticing words never bring lasting comfort. They always beguile us. And the little note said, Satan beguiles, he deceives, he deludes, and he cheats by wrong reckoning. Satan is the one who beguiled Eve. That old serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. And he is trying to beguile people even today. For example, we can go to internet and or we can turn on the TV and we can hear any manner of preaching which claims to be God's word. It's a good speech. It's good words. It is, as the scripture says, they make fair speeches. They speak good words, but they deceive the hearts of the simple. Gifted speakers, they may be, but they twist the scriptures. They take the scripture out of context, making it say what they wanted to say, and they bury sound doctrine. They never mention foundational truths of the Word of God. Scripture gives us some ways to recognize these, these ones that are twisters. They don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ in fullness. The Scripture says that they serve their own belly. They put themselves first before the church. This is what, not what I say, this is just taken from a, several scriptures that I read. They always adulterate and corrupt God's word. They walk in craftiness. They speak according to the tradition of men, according to the elements of this world, not according to Christ. They are puffed up in their own minds. I remember several years ago, I was at a meeting and I there was a, a man there that was well-dressed, and I said, I greeted him, I said, hello, brother, and he went, <coughs> doctor, I am doctor, not brother. <laughs> he was puffed up, he was puffed up in his own mind, they, and that's one way to recognize these men. Humility says so much. They speak perverted things in order to draw the disciples after themselves. They're not trying to draw the disciples and point them to Jesus. They are not trying to point the disciples to the living word of God. 
They are trying to draw men after themselves. And of such men, we need to be aware. How do we turn these things to become right again? There's so much wrong. What's the antidote to all this error that we are seeing in the world today? What is the solution? Well, the answer is simple. It is God's word clearly and fully proclaimed. God's word is the antidote. Let me give you some wonderful truths. God's word is so powerful. In Bible days, it was said that the doctrine and the word of God turned the world, the known world, or the cities upside down. It turned everything. For example, in Acts 17 and verse 6, they arrested two certain brethren, brethren. And they, they cried out and they said, these, these are the ones who are guilty of turning the whole place upside down. And now they have come to our city. How did they do it? How did they turn things upside down? How, and actually it wasn't upside down. It was turned back the right way. But to the lost it was upside down. They did it by teaching the message of Christ Jesus. They did it by preaching Christ, the doctrines of Christ. God's word is so powerful. It brought reformation to Europe just 600 years ago. There was such darkness 600 years ago. This darkness covered the earth. If the apostles could have been resurrected and taken to the church 600 years ago, I think they would have fainted. They would have said, this is not the church. How can this be so bad? People are bowing down to statues. People are paying penance for their sins to be forgiven. People are making pilgrimages to Rome. People worship Mary. They wouldn't recognize what, how far the church had fallen, how far the precious truths that they had preached had been buried. But what was going to happen? God brought reformation to Europe. And this is how he did it. Although all these foundational truths were buried, how were they cleansed away? How was the light to come to the darkness by bringing forth the truth of the Bible, by proclaiming what the Bible said and taught. Now, we know, according to church history, that Luther came and preached justification by faith. And this was very, very powerful. Many turned to the Lord. But the main lever of change was Luther's translation of the Bible into the people's language. When the people got a copy of the Bible in their language and could read it for themselves, this was the turning point. This took the power out of what the Pope said. The Pope said he would excommunicate them, but they feared not because they had seen it in the scriptures for themselves. They had read it. They had come to know it. The Holy Spirit had let it take root in their hearts. 
Nothing that the Pope could say could scare them. Nothing that the king with the sword and the threatenings of fire could scare them. They had read it in the word. And almost 100 years earlier in England, the great change took place when Wycliffe translated the Bible into English. People say, oh, it was the quarrel of the king, King Henry VIII with the Pope that caused the change. No, it was not the quarrel of the King Henry VIII that caused the change. It was the Bible that was in the people's language that they could read for themselves. The scriptures gave enlarged understanding. The scriptures gave hope. And the scriptures showed them once again what genuine Christianity was. The excellence of pure Christianity had become rooted in the people's hearts. If it wasn't for the scriptures that they could now read, probably when the reformers died, they would have gone back to their old ways. But they had the scriptures, and the scriptures kept them on in the right way. The Bible had done its appointed work, and they could never go back. They couldn't go to Egypt. No one could turn the clock back. And this is what we need today. Today, we need a revival of God's truth and his word once again. So many of the precious foundational truths have been eroded away and buried, and many additions added to Christianity. And the trouble is, the additions that people add to Christianity are additions borrowed from the world. How can we borrow something from the world that is carnal and add it to something which is spiritual? The scripture says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If we want life and peace in the church, we need that which is spiritual in the church, the words of life spiritual. We need a return to God's holy word, to the truth of the scripture. Carnal practices will not help. Carnal practices will not bring life. They will only bring death. There's only one standard for God's people. Only one standard for God's church, and that is his holy word. I was reading about this and I read in the 1689 Baptist Confession. You know, that's a long time ago, but it's still true. Let me just read to you the Holy Scripture. This is what the 1689 Baptist Confession stated. The Holy Scripture is all-sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of standard and knowledge. Faith and obedience that constitute in our salvation. There's no other rule. The scripture is our rule. And it goes on to say that although, although the light of nature and God's works of creation and providence give a clear testimony of his goodness, wisdom, and power, that men who spurn God's goodness and wisdom and the evidence in nature are without excuse, yet 
Those things are insufficient in themselves that we may know the knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary for salvation. In consequence, the merciful Lord from time to time and in various ways has revealed himself and made his will known to the church. But now, and furthermore, in order to ensure the preservation and propagation of the truth and the establishment of comfort to the church against the corrupt nature of man and the malice of Satan and the, work and the world. So God realized that the malice of Satan and that the world was going to corrupt and influence things, and he caused the revelation of himself and of his will to be written down in all its fullness. So God has given us a more sure word of prophecy. He has given us the word of God, which is our standard rule. It is a revelation of his will, of his, himself. The Holy Scriptures are absolutely essential to men. That which is essential to the church, the Holy Scriptures, all of our steps, all of our, our ways must be according to his wisdom, according to his word. We find wisdom in God's word. His word, let's just read Colossians 2 and verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How, can, how do you walk in him? You walk in his precepts, in his law, in his ways. His ways are found in his word. So we are to walk. If we have been redeemed, we are to walk in his ways, and we are to be rooted and grounded in his ways. His word must take root in our hearts. Colossians 2, 7 rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving don't let the vain principles of this world govern you let us follow Christ Jesus let us follow his will let me, let me show you very briefly how errors come into the church and how it happens. Well, very briefly, it happens whenever an individual or a church takes a scripture and makes that scripture of private interpretation. I've got a revelation. I've got understanding of this. But the infallible rule, according to all of the, 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 the church fathers from all the hundreds of years in the past, they have a rule, scripture must be interpreted by scripture. Scripture interpreted by scripture. Again, from the 1689 confession, I want to read, it is an infallible rule that scripture is interpreted by scripture. That is to say, one part of scripture by another. Hence, any dispute as to the truth 
full and evident meeting of a particular passage must be determined in the light of clearer, comparable passages. So today we have Bibles that have got cross-references. If you don't understand something, look at the cross-reference. If you don't understand something, read the verses before, read the verses afterwards, see the context, how it's being given. For example, after the Lord's resurrection, we know that he was on the road to Emmaus, and he speaks to his two disciples. There were two at that time. O foolish ones, O slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things? He's speaking to these disciples, and it's very interesting in Luke 24 and verse 27, the scripture says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them the scriptures. So the Lord himself used scripture to explain scripture. He took the, what the prophets said, the book of Moses said, he, he used the scripture to explain, and then later on, he speaks to his disciples again. Now, he says to the disciples, these things must be, must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. So the Lord points them to the law of Moses, to the prophets and the Psalms, explaining we must always look to Scripture in its entirety, always in the light of the risen Christ always in context, reading the whole chapter, not just taking a verse out of context. Careful not to twist scripture and make it say what it didn't say. We take the counsel of the whole of scripture, the whole tenor and the whole meaning of scripture, the message of scripture, and we place it as a grid over that one verse that we're reading. And if it doesn't agree, and if it doesn't fit in, then it is almost certain that we have come to a wrong conclusion. Scripture must interpret Scripture. It must be consistent what the whole Bible is saying. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. We always look at the whole of Scripture. So when things are really at a low ebb, when there is much error around, we know one thing. We know that the divine comforter of the church, the Holy Spirit, has one great agent to oppose Satan's devices. And that agent is the Word of God. The Word expounded, the Word unfolded, the Word explained and opened up, the Word made clear, the Word applied to the head and the heart. The Word is the chosen weapon by which the devil will be defeated. If we, as God's people, are not to be carried around by diverse and strange doctrines, we must remember 
what Jesus Christ said. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Ignorance of the Bible is the root of all error. Knowledge of the Bible is the best antidote against modern heresies. So if we go and we switch on our phone and we listen to a preaching and it has absolutely nothing to do with the scripture and it's not consistent with what the scripture says, the wisdom would say, turn it off. It is carnal. It has nothing to do with my God whom I serve. Next, I want to just say a few words about the importance of Bible reading. And next to praying, there's nothing more important than reading the Bible for ourselves. I remember there's a favorite preacher of mine by the name of J.C. Ryle. He said, happy is the man who owns a Bible, but happier still is he who reads his Bible. And happier still is he who does what his Bible says. Oh, we must read and do the Word of God. John 6 and 63, it is the spirit that makes alive, which flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. As we face so many afflictions in life, so many difficulties, we need help in our afflictions. And what is our help? We read it in, the, in our reading, Psalm 119 and verse 50. This is my comfort in affliction. Your word, O Lord, has given me life. Your word, O Lord, gives me life. I remember when I was a youngster, uh, very small, I, I, it's amazing I can remember this. My parents used to go out, and as a child, I don't remember how old, maybe six or eight, I used to worry, why are they not coming back? Oh no, something terrible might have happened. And, and my comfort, you know what I did as a child? I would go and find the Bible and I would read some scripture and it would comfort my heart as a youngster. And ever since then, up until this day, I can testify the scripture brings comfort to every situation that we face. It is a comfort in affliction. The one that's not born again, they can't see any value in God's word. In fact, the word of God is foolishness to them, and they don't want to hear it. They look only to the natural and the physical for peace, and I've mentioned it already, but Romans 8 and verse 6, it says to be carnally minded, Scripture says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. A carnal mind is a mind which denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man, apart from divine influence. Our minds apart, our natures apart from divine influence are spiritually dead and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. But the word brings life. The word is life. The word is spiritual life. The general charge against mankind as a general is that man has used his faculties, 
his intellect, his strength, his ability for everything to get selfish gain. But man has not used, or few men have used their intellect and their strength to bring glory to God. And this is the plague that affects nearly all mankind on earth. When a plague sweeps across a country or the world, people are very careful to watch that they don't get that plague. Remember when COVID was around, you were very careful not to get that plague, especially in the beginning. We wore the mask and we were so careful and we kept the social distancing and we didn't want to get that plague that was circulating the world. Well, as a Christian, there is a plague that is circulating the world, and that is lack of interest in what the Bible says. We must examine ourselves and not get infected by this plague. We must make sure that we always treasure the Bible. Especially, we live in such a time as this, when Bibles are available in every shop. You can go to Johnson's, not even a Christian bookshop, and you can find a Bible there. You can find a Bible on the internet, on your phone. Bibles are readily available everywhere. What a blessing. You see, we just see it as another book, but it is inspired. It is inspired by God. It is divinely inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration. Inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's the eternal word of God that is available, that we can have our own personal copy of it. It's settled forever in heaven. Never changes, never changes. I went into a, a shop the other day, in, in Naramoro, it was very early in the morning, and all the men that worked in that shop, they had the Daily Nation on the counter, and they were reading the Daily Nation. But do you know, tomorrow they have to buy another one, and the next day they have to buy another one, because man changes his mind every day. But God's word is settled forever in heaven. The Daily Nation can't impart spiritual life, but God's word imparts spiritual life, builds our faith, is a comfort when we are facing difficulties, is an anchor when the seas are stormy. It brings knowledge and is of great help to mankind. Nothing else is more valuable than having knowledge of the Bible. Nothing else. The scriptures make us wise unto salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15 And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ comes from the written word. I, I have a whole list of wonderful attributes of scripture and we know them the, the, the scripture is a lamp into our feet a light into our path and we are quickened the word of god quickens us and imparts wisdom to us 
strengthens us, strengthen me, David prayed, according to thy word, O Lord. Sometimes we don't know which way to go. The word of God orders our steps. In short, we can say, God's word answers all the needs of the human heart. Not a single need that his word will not answer. We should be like Mary, the mother of Jesus. She said, let it be done unto me according to thy word. This should be our motto. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. This is what's been given to us so freely. What are we doing with our Bible? How do we read it? Do we hear its teachings? Have we understood that they are not just the words of men, but in truth the word of God, which effectively works in those who believe? It is the true bread and sustenance, the hidden manna, better than angels' food. This word is better than angels' food. This, the scripture says in the book of Psalms 78 and verse 24, it speaks of the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven, and it calls it the corn from heaven. Oh, we need the corn from heaven. The divine provision of the Lord for the nourishment of humanity is the corn of heaven. And then I close with these wonderful truths. The scripture gives the bread of life various names. Number one, it is the bread from heaven. It is the true bread. It is the bread of God. It is the bread of life. It is the living bread. All these names are of excellence, of its power and its suitableness. The very bread we need, no other bread will do. Only Emmanuel's person, the Son of God himself, the true unleavened bread, holy and incorruptible, the Word made flesh, is the soul's 